Welcome back, Manifestors. No, I haven't fired Blair. We <laughs> had a great episode last week. You've been loving Gibson's episode, but Blair and I are back for just a little intimate, you know, one-on-one today, uh-huh. and we've got uh-huh. a couple of great IDs for you, no less. Blair, you are hot off the Pilates trail. What? <laughs> well, basically, I've never been more stressed out in my life because, okay. as I shared last time, I took a Pilates class that was the hardest thing I've ever done to my body. Sure. And... I was tricked. It's basically their short grift because I bought for $80. It's $40 per class. Yeah. Just normally, which is insane. That's enough to feed a family of two for a week. Yeah. Nothing about New York surprises me anymore. Well, regardless. So it's $40 a class. I'm like, I'd never be able to normally do this. Like, whatever. They're having a flash sale, two weeks unlimited. And my roommate's like, you're going to get abs in like one class. Like, just do it. And I was like, okay, fine. And then it was so hard. And that's how they get your money. They were going to get $80 for one class. But being the like, you know, I'm just like, I'm, I just get very angry about grifts of this sort. So I've now gone five times and I will be going five more times before the end of the two week trial. And it's, I'm in so much pain. I can't sleep. I can't get water sometimes. Like when I'm watching TV, I'm like, it's fine. I'll just be thirsty. Oh my God. (laughs) It's, it's wild. But again, just to show you how much I care about this podcast, I sprinted back from this yeah. lunchtime Pilates, and I'm now drinking wine directly after sure. Pilates. Just to- I have to uh, drive to New Jersey after Oh, yeah, this, Rebecca, so. tell everybody what's more important than my birthday party that you're going to tonight. I'm sorry. It's Sarah's bridal shower. And I can say that because Sarah's okay. a beloved manifester. Bridal showers are a little bit fake. No offense. Sarah well, I mean... Like, it's a whole thing. I think the whole American, like, wedding system is a scam. We've been over it. I don't need to bore the manifestors with my soapboxing on this. But I... I thought it was a bachelorette party. Now I'm mad. <laughs> if no. it was a bridal shower, that that's not okay. No, it I'm was, sorry. My roommate's boyfriend was like, oh, like, what is a bridal shower? Is it, like, a bachelorette party for moms? And pretty, I was like, pretty that much. is a that's, brilliant way of putting it. That's spot on exactly what it's, it is. It's a bachelorette party for people who can't hang. But Sarah's <laughs> mom is our biggest fan. Okay, Shout out well, to Barb, and I can't to wait Barb. to see her. She is going to be thrilled. <laughs> she, uh, it was her birthday yesterday, so double shout out to Barb. And I know it is your birthday too, Blair, and I'm not forgetting about it, but I told you I'm planning a private, intimate getaway well, to Rhode Island for us. Well, it's, it's going to be really, great. Yeah. We're going to do a live show, maybe a little live the stream company of it. retreat. The company yeah, I, retreat. I'm telling you, I'm taking you out. We're going to go <laughs> we on a We can do boat. Roger Williams too. Yes, we can do whatever you want. We're going to go on a walking tour of Providence and Newport, like okay. so many great Newport IDs. We could All do right. a live ID from a mansion and maybe get them to pay for it. They, <laughs> Okay, Possibilities are limitless. Uh, but I am sad I'm missing your birthday. I hear wigs are involved. I'm There's super a jealous. There's parties. I'm getting in. Infl- like, it is going to be crazy. I'll tell the manifestors because I'm not going and I'm sad about it. I have the perfect Mary Jo Kopechny ensemble ready to go. And I'm super devastated. So maybe I'll just wear that on our walking tour of <laughs> Providence because no one would bat an eye. It's like cute enough that you could wear it out. Okay. Very vintage. Yeah, I mean, I'm here for it. I just really... So, like, two things that I'm taking away from... So, every year I do Blairioki. Sure. Um, it's the sixth annual Blairioki, people. Last year, it was obviously canceled because of COVID, but I still sure. sang some songs in the car yeah. just to get yeah, through it. Just should. to feel something again. So, it's, <laughs> it's the glorious return of Blairioki. It's going to be wild and 
Yes, I, I won't go into it. I Maybe I could share some on, on the... Actually, we'll see. But anyway, so a couple things I want to address. Number one, big shout out to Gibson for what we're calling the Gibson bump. Our numbers yeah. are soaring. Yeah, the Gibson bump was real. And <laughs> as Gibson predicted, our Florida market has exploded. And same with the website. We had like 50 visits to the website and like a lot of them were from Florida. So shout out to Gibson. I had dinner with Gibson's sister the other night and she was like yeah no I've never enjoyed your podcast before now (laughs) and I was like okay mean and okay fair mean but fair but then the other thing is that listening to it and thinking about Grayson Gibson's mom listening to it whomst I know shout out to Mary Jo if you're listening but I was like I gotta stop swearing so much on this podcast yeah I mean I think about it too sometimes but you know what this is an adult podcast this is an adult we're all adults and if you can't swear in front of adults now like what are you even doing sometimes I just like casually swear in front of my parents just as like a power play not even like with intention just like Oh, that fucking thing. And they're just like, oh, my God. I Yeah, same. I hate this. I but think it's, my it's parents have started swearing without intention in the same way, yeah. potentially also as a power play, because it yeah. does freak me out when they're just like, get the hell out of here. Um, again, I'm, so I'm going to see if I can go. So this is just a fun little challenge, but I'm going to see if I can go this entire episode without swearing. Wow. Okay. Good for you. I know. I'll we'll do see, next episode. We'll see what happens. Um, um, tell us, tell the manifestors just quickly a little bit of what you've been feeling in the first week of your 30th year. Like, have the stars aligned for you in any meaningful ways? We had a moon change, I noticed, only because I checked the Manifest Destiny Well, there website. was a full solar eclipse yesterday, too. Oh, okay. Wow. Or the 11th, yes. So that was huge. Um, you know, birthday was good. It's just, you know, I've never, I'm no stranger to ennui. You know what I mean? I feel like I always get like this around my birthday. <laughs> we should but title I'm, the episode that. <laughs> but I, but yeah, so I, it, it hasn't been that bad yet. And I think it's good that I'm having my birthday party a week later because yeah. like I've already processed the emotions and now yep. I just want to, you know. Just put on a wig and sing Vanessa yeah. Carlton. Which, oh my I'm so God. excited for you. I can't I believe see you're lots not of coming. pictures. I'm so sad, but wigs will be involved in our company retreat slash belated 30th birthday party. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so shall we just get yeah. into it? Because yeah, what are you I, telling I, us about today? I don't, I, I'm going to preface by saying I don't know a single thing about Blair's ID, and I didn't bother to look it up because I like to be surprised. So, um, And I will us. further preface it by saying I. Didn't re- like, I mean, I remember Bleeding Kansas from APUS and like that term. I do not. I feel like I'd never heard it before. <laughs> okay. And I have, can- my relatives are from Kansas. Okay. Well, like, learn something about your relatives and, and more know. importantly, find out what, what, whose side they were on during this because it's oh, okay. extremely important. Wow. I'm excited. So basically Bleeding Kansas refers to a period of repeated outbreaks of vi- violent guerrilla warfare in oh. Kansas. Like, literally wild, seven-year period, people in Kansas were just killing each other. And wow. this is all in the, the ramp-up to the Civil War. Um, and in 1854, Kansas is created as a territory. But just, well, okay, so another thing I realized is we, we haven't, we've barely done any Civil War stuff, potentially not any Civil War stuff. And part of it is it's, like, just such a jumble. Like, everything, there's just so many different compromises and so many different, like, elements, and they're all, like, tangled up. And it's like, ugh, we just got to secede. Like, I get get it now how they were like, we are not the same country. Like, there have been so many acts, so many compromises, so many different things. So I don't want to get We've only ever talked about, like, the aftermath of it or people that, like, went on to fight in the Civil War. Like, but we've never had, like, a macro 
Like, yes. Look at it. I think it would be probably an episode that would be long, and we couldn't put anything else in it, and, like, a lot of people would maybe think we don't have enough authority on the subject, because some people, like, it's such, like, a, maybe we just get, like, a history dude bro that, like, studied it in college, and it's, like, his passion, because it's always something, like, with these wars, I'm like, I get it, a lot of shit happened, it was super bad, but, like, I don't want to, like, Well, this is something that our APUS teacher always used to say to us, and it's so true, is that battles in wars... (laughs) don't matter they don't come up on the test it's not they don't come up on the test but if you are when you get taught by a man that all they want to talk about is like the freaking artillery and like all this stupid stuff like i had a professor in college whom i literally loved shout out to him but he literally would give you a higher grade if you just mentioned two super specific things about a battle in in your favor so stupid (laughs) but like it was just but it's so anyway but this isn't about a battle this is actually this is all interesting so we're not we're not doing the battle of antinum so buckle up this is bleeding all right bleeding kansas so but basically what's crazy about bleeding kansas is i want everybody to think about it as like a mini civil war before the civil war like it was a state civil war okay and it's really interesting because it all came to a head in kansas so we'll talk a little bit about why so this is 1854, setting the scene. United States is rapidly expanding west. Um, okay. And there's plans for the Transcontinental Railroad. Um, the California Gold Rush is happening. Basically, everybody who's anybody is going west. Um, and then something else to point out is that horizontal expansion is pretty much like the name of the day. Like People from the northeast move to the Western East, East West. So a little Manifest Destiny action happening? That's what you're saying? Oh, the Northwest. Yes. So it's straight up Manifest. So I'm saying, like, if you're looking at a map of the United States, which I happen to have up because I get really embarrassed when I forget the names of states. But, you know, if you say you're in, like, New York, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, you are expanding westward to, like, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin. Breadbasket. So there's no desire from these people for those to be state for those to be slave states. And if you're expanding from like Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, all these slave states, you are going west into Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, all of these places. So as the nation is expanding horizontally, so is slavery. So basically, this all kind of comes to a head because if you look at Kansas, it is literally smack dab in the middle of the United States. Sure is. So people, where my from, people are from that's where your people right in the breadbasket, right baby. Middle. <laughs> um, so anyway, very fertile land, um, very desirable stuff, and Missouri was admitted as a slave state in the Compromise of 1820. Not to get too into the different compromises, but in 1820. The balance of power between slave states and free states, which was was determined by popular sovereignty, so the states themselves voted on whether they wanted to be a slave state or a free state. But again, it hadn't been the biggest issue because it was like a no-brainer for people moving to Arkansas from South Carolina to continue slavery, and same with northern states. So when Missouri was admitted as a state in 1820, they it was going to, like mess up the balance of power so that there'd be more slave states in the union so that's how they created maine maine just used to be part of massachusetts and um i did not know that you (laughs) well the only reason i know that is because i saw this meme probably 10 years ago that's like 
you will always be a part of me. I'm a part of you indefinitely. And it's like Massachusetts to Maine. So now every time I hear that song, I think about how Maine used to be part of Massachusetts. So I'm so glad that you worked this. I, I mean, I'm I'm warming up my vocals for Blair Yoki. I know. You've got to sing that now and send it to the manifestors. So anyway. Um, so that's all to keep it on an even keel because, again, they're talking about representational government. They're like, we don't want there to be two slave-liking senators. So a lot of it came down to representation. You know, not the most glamorous, sexiest stuff, but that is basically what the Civil War comes down to. So basically in 1854, they are, like, trying to figure out what, these, what to do with these lands called the quote-unquote Nebraska Territory, um, which ends up becoming Nebraska and, and Kansas. And they're like, oh, Nebraska. They were like, oh, we'll just divide it into two and Nebraska will, will definitely go free soiler, as they call it, free soil. Um, free and soiler? Then, Good merch idea. Free soiler? Oh, my God. Great. It's like a little, like, kind of dirty sound. Yeah. Anyway. I kind of like it. Sorry. Go on. Um, so, so, anyway. Free soiler. We definitely need free soiler merch. So, anyway. So, these free soilers in Nebraska, so they were like, no big deal. And then... Kansas is right next to Missouri, People will pro- which is a huge slave state. They were like, oh, people will probably want that to be a slave state, so we'll just admit them into the union together, and it'll keep the balance. But that is not what happened. <laughs> because, so, um, so basically, so that was the Kansas and Nebraska Act of 1854 that kind of determined these, like, two territories that were going to become states, and it divides... Uh, so it, it also... You know, free soilers are really pissed about this because it extends slavery into new territory, which was previously agreed upon that was not going to happen. So southern people, supporters of slavery, really saw the Kansas and Nebraska Act as like a big win. So Kansas ends up over the next seven years becoming this insane battleground over the future of slavery in the United States because popular sovereignty was huge, um, which which is basically just means the state itself has the right to say... um, whether or not it's a slave state. At this time, Franklin Pierce was the president, and he was a huge, 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 huge racist guy that loved slavery. Loved slavery. Like, couldn't get enough of it. So Franklin Pierce is president, and basically, like, there starts to be all of this insane violence between free soilers. Um, oh, so, so free staters are also known as Jayhawkers. So they arm themselves up for pro-slavery forces. In New England, a group of abolitionists abolitionists um, formed the Immigrant Aid Society, and they sent anti-slavery settlers to Kansas specifically. Like, they pay for people to move to to Kansas just to ensure it will become a free territory. I love that. Um, And then on the other side, thousands of pro-slavery Missourians are, like, flooding into Kansas to pretend they're from Kansas to illegally vote there in their territorial election. Yeah, so those, so the Missourians that are, like, Missourians, I don't know how you say it, but anyway... So tons of them, they were known as quote-unquote border ruffians because they would just come in, like, beat people up. I remember up. border ruffians. Yeah, you remember now, border yeah, ruffians, of that course. name sticks in my head. Um, wow. So they literally fled into, so they literally, So there's like, just, like, major gerrymandering happening on both sides here. So it's gerrymandering. Like, that's definitely a huge part of it, but it's also just, like, an unbelievably violent time. It's like, you yeah. read this and you're like, oh, yeah, LOL. Like, they were, like, voting illegally, but it's like, no, 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 no. Like, they were... Literally, they're like the anti-slavery voters were being intimidated by the border ruffians. They show up heavily armed and were like ten feet from the voting place, being like, "I will kill you if you vote for wow." So a free soil voter election. intimidation to like a crazy degree. 
to a crazy degree and also just people started getting really hurt like over this time i read different figures um but the lowest number i saw was that 55 people were died directly as a result of this and Jeez. like the high like up to 200 people died wow. in like these crazy skirmishes that were like i hate just you. to get to the polls not even just to get to the polls, but also being like, get off my land. Like, Oh, so they were like, it wasn't even just voting. It was like, we don't want you moving here because it's going to skew. Well, the craziest part is that they set up two different governments, like a free government and a slavery government. And they were they had different capitals in different in parts Kansas. of Nebraska. Sorry, yeah, in Kansas. They set wow. up two separate ones. And so even though the northern one was like more legit... And um, I think it was in Topeka where the capital is now. Um, Franklin Pierce only recognized the pro-slavery legislator as, as the only legitimate government of Kansas. Isn't that insane? That is insane. And so then there's all these sporadic outbursts of violence between pro-slavery and anti-slavery forces. And it really escalates in 1856. A, a pro-slavery group storms um, Lawrence, which was a free soiler stronghold. It was just, I don't know, a random town in Kansas. And they destroyed the printing press, which, first of all... <sighs> Not the printing press. <laughs> I know. It's like, I just I just love a good... I love a good symbolic destruction of a printing press <laughs> more than anything. <laughs> so I, it's, like, nice to know that even in 1856, people were still doing that. Eli Whitney. It was taking me a second, but who invented the, pr- the printing press? It was Eli Whitney. Oh, my Whitney. God. No, Eli Pr- Whitney invented the cotton gin, Rebecca. Oh, and don't you shit. dare take this out. The printing press was invented by um, Johann Gutenberg. Yes, Gutenberg is the Gutenberg Bible. Yes, of yes, course, yes. Of course, in like the 1400s. So, like, so anyway. So they loot homes, destroy printing presses, <laughs> multiple. So I guess there were multiple. Um, they have money to burn, I guess. And they're setting homes, they're looting homes, like, and stores, setting fire to a hotel, like straight up riots. Um, and in response to a sack of the quote-unquote sack of Lawrence, um, John Brown, so that what's known as John Brown's raid, which, raid, which a lot of people yep. remember. Yeah, um, I remember so that. So he was pro, um, he was pro, he was anti-slavery, he was a free soiler. Um, so he marched to the Potawatomi Valley, I assume. Nailed I, it. I assume <laughs> I nailed that. In Kansas Territory on May 24th, um, with seven men, including four of his sons. Wow. So mostly Bold just move. his family does this. So determined to confront <laughs> pro-slavery slaver, settlers, um, they, gra- they drag five pro-slavery men from their homes along this creek and brutally killed them. So it's oh. not, so even the good guys are bad guys yeah, in this geez. story. So it's really crazy. And then I just also want to point out, so Bleeding Kansas gained national attention. It was obviously like this huge thing. And everybody in D.C. was picking sides, sending support. So there were, like, senators and congressmen that were supporting the Free Soilers. The president was supporting and only acknowledging the Kansas, um, the, the slavery, pro-slavery government. And Horace Greeley, shout out to him. Oh, a, a newspaper man. He coined the term in the New York Tribune, bleeding Kansas. And it just caught on, like, everybody just loves it. And again, I barely remembered anything about this, but I was like, hell yeah, bleeding Kansas. And so anyway, so despite the visibility of the violence in Kansas, um, you know, relatively few of the settlers in the territory are like even that invested in the conflict over slavery. They were like, we just want to, you know, like many of the pro-slavery people were just poor farmers that weren't going to enslave people, couldn't afford it, but were just kind of like, as long as I'm white, I'll be better than these people. So they were like, you know, vaguely pro-slavery, but it's not like it was like coming down to 
whether or not they could own their slaves. And, you know, and there were very few anti-slavery settlers who were champions of black rights at all. These weren't like overtly political people. They just were like, as long as we are clearing over native land and making farms there, I want in. Um, So they basically just want the land for themselves, but they're kind of just caught up in this ongoing battle. But like the sentiment is very much like, we don't really care, but like the border ruffians, the free soilers and all these like different interest groups are sending in all these people to keep fighting. So it gets really, really crazy. Oh, okay. So then another crazy thing. Have you ever heard of the caning of Sumner? No. It was like stuck in my head and I like didn't really know. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, I know that I know this. And then I, and then it turned out to be linked to Bleeding Kansas. And it was because when I used to give tours of the Capitol, literally Charles Sumner, who was a senator from Massachusetts, Massachusetts was like giving a, an anti- slavery speech about bleeding kansas and a south carolina congressman beat almost canes him to death on the floor of the senate just Wait, loses his mind jumps the, the barrier almost kills him and literally yeah i used to give these stories where i was like and over years where charles sumner was literally almost murdered in front Wait, of 50 other his, senators like, walking cane like yeah yeah just beat him just beat why didn't anyone stop him almost to death I mean, I think they ultimately were like, okay, this this escalated. This got out of hand. So uh, Meanwhile, yeah. he's just being beaten with a cane. Jesus. Again, I want to read a firsthand account of it because it sounds literally, A, hilarious, and B, um, why, how long was it going on before anyone interfered? Because, I mean, you know. Well, we have our company retreat slash belated birthday celebration. Maybe we can make a TikTok about it and recreate it. <laughs> Good idea. Um, oh, yeah. So, anyway, so this just shows you that, like, the people in D.C. were more up at arms and literally ready to kill each other literally over this and was the average Kansas settler. Um, but basically it does end up being admitted as a union state because Congress launched an investigation into what was actually happening to be like, what is the sentiment here? And there were apparently like a pretty wide majority of people that were legitimately settled in Kansas and not part of this crazy conflict. They wanted it to be a free state. So it was admitted as a free state. And this tipped the balance of free states and slave states in the government. Um, And people see this as one of the very, very last things before the Civil War where people were like, yeah, no, this country doesn't represent me. And it's like these wow. all these slaveholders are being like, yeah, no, every piece of legislation I want is going to get railroaded by these free soilers and all these anti-slavery people. Um, so this is one of the, like, ultimate... But, but they were the ones who were so into popular sovereignty and being like, let whoever right. decide. Right. So this is an example of, you know, horizontal expansion coming to a total head where, where they're meeting in the middle of the country. And it's really like a mini civil war, huge precursor to the civil war. The border ruffians are losing it. Um, And it ends up being kind of what people point to as like, not just like a precursor to civil war, but also just like a microcosm of what the civil war would be, like putting all these people against each other and all of these. Neighbor against neighbor. Neighbor against neighbor. And also having like the vast majority being like, I'm not that invested in this personally. Like, this isn't about, like, slavery is not the issue that I, like, it's not my hill to die on, but, like, I will fight for it. Okay. Yeah, so that's all I really have. Wow, that's a lot. And I really, like, as you were talking about, I remember, like, flashbacks from Uh it, sort of. But Yeah, John Brown's raid is definitely big. Yeah, John Brown's raid and the Border Ruffians, for sure. I remember, like, flashcards with the Border Ruffians on them. But what an interesting story. And, And as you said, a microcosm and a precursor. To the bigger show. I know. And like a wild time. Like, yeah. 
Shout out to Charles Sumner, almost lost his life. Do you think he went to work that morning on the Senate floor thinking he was going to get caned to death? No. That was just the cost of doing business. On TikTok. And it's also, yeah, I mean, it made me want to do more Civil War IDs because it really is truly wild being like, wow, there were literally two different countries. And I would be kind of mad too if my country didn't represent my interests in any way. Did you ever read American War? No. Oh, it's really good. It's, like, about after they, like, ban fossil fuels, like, there's another American Civil War, because it, and it's all just Oh, it's, like, like, speculative fiction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, okay. like, metafi- historical metafiction, but also... Ooh, I like, like that. Oh, that could be further reading. It's really good. Well, um, my, my favorite Civil War book, I'm just gonna add this as further reading now, but yeah, it's called it. Mr. Lincoln's Army. Oh, okay. And it's so good, and it follows the Union... And, yeah, we never talk about the Civil War, but we got to start. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's mean, important. Today's the day. And, like, maybe happening soon. Just yeah. Again. I mean, <laughs> like, definitely. It, it could happen. Yikes. Um, wow. Well, that was great. Uh, anchor ad thanks. away. Anchor ad away. <laughs> oh, anchors away. Missed opportunity. Damn it. Next time. <laughs> next We are back. We have bled with Kansas, and now Rebecca's going to take us into something I also know nothing about. So if I've learned anything, it's that I just literally don't understand. But Rebecca, take it away. I feel like whether I've done this consciously or not, I've been picking longer IDs, and the episodes have been much longer than they historically uh-huh. have been. So I was like, I'm going to pick something that I think is going to be like pretty short and just really a lot. A lot <laughs> happening here, and oh, I'm going to try and go through it quickly, but it's it's a lot more than I thought, and it's all very messed up. So I'm talking about Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Pride Month. Pride Month, baby. Um, this has been on my list for a while. Like, it's because, like you, it's not something I really understood other than, like, the policy is you're not supposed to tell anybody you're gay if you're in the military, and then it got overruled, yeah. and I remember that, but I didn't realize it had this, like deeply messed up history. So I'm just going to get right into it. So literally since the Revolutionary War, being gay has been grounds for discharge from the military. Um, Since the Revolutionary War? Yes, grounds for discharge. Now, it didn't become like actual policy until just before World War II, when they were like, all right, we're gearing up for a war and we just can't have any gays fighting the (laughs) war. So, and that in World, just before World War II is when they added like a, psychiatric screening to your fitness test and well that's a really good way to dodge service i know i would have been like all the way (laughs) this is me so there's a reason we're not veterans though yeah (laughs) it's many reasons so when the military adds these psychiatric screenings they classified homosexuality as disqualifying psychopathology so that was the first time that this like really was put into law And if you were identified as a gay service member, you were court-martialed, imprisoned, and dishonorably discharged. Um, But during the war itself, that became, like, increasingly difficult because they couldn't convene court-martials to go through all of this. So they started doing, like, administrative, something called blue discharge, which is, like, the military standard method for handling gay and lesbian personnel. So Blue discharge? That's what it was called, which is That's disgusting. Yeah, I hate it the most. I, like, didn't (laughs) want to say it. I paused before I said it because I just... Gross. Yeah. So, anyways, um, 
1944, a new policy directive decreed that homosexuals were to be committed to military hospitals, examined by psychiatrists, and then discharged under the regulation 615-360. I gotta have to say it again. And in 1947, the blue discharges were discontinued and two new classifications were created, and those were general discharge and undesirable discharge. Uh, This is going to be a rough episode for me. Yeah, with Um, the discharges? I hate it. I hate it the most. Um, So basically, if you were found to be gay um, but hadn't committed any sexual acts while in service, you'd get an undesirable discharge. But if you were found guilty of engaging in sex acts of a gay persuasion, you were dishonorably discharged, which is... Wait, so so it's dishonorably discharged and then... Undesirable. Undesirably discharged. Yeah, exactly. So dishonorable is worse. Yes. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. So undesirable is basically like, we don't want this to become a thing. And the other one is like, you've done something bad and we're punishing you for that. So that's the difference. Okay. Ugh. Um, so that Both are not great. Neither, like this is But this undesirable whole, discharge I don't love either. I wouldn't I, love that. It's all bad. It's all bad. It's just varying degrees of bad. And that is something we will see throughout this. So in 1957, the U.S. Navy actually conducts us this study. They go out of their way to produce this bogus study called the Crittenden Report, which basically um, dismissed the idea that homosexuals contributed to a security risk, but they did advocate for, like, stringent anti-homosexual policies because, quote, homosexuality is wrong, it is evil, and it is to be branded as such. What is so, that? What year is that quote from? 1957. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wait, so um, what war were we gearing up for then? Korea? I just, at this point, they're like, you know what, we're gonna just keep being dicks, but yes, Korea, technically. Um, okay. So this report actually made, remained a secret until 1976, but, like, served to, obviously, influence policy. So... Uh-huh. The first, like, real instance of this getting challenged was this woman named Fannie Mae Clackham, and she was born on June 10th, which makes oh, her a... Uh, Gemini. Gemini. We love, yeah. we love to see it. Wow. So, one of the first Geminis we've talked about. Yeah. Fannie Mae Clackham. So um, much, she, like, fun, chaotic energy from and Fannie you know Mae Clackham. Like, what a name. Fannie Mae Clackham, like, gets it. So... She serves in the U.S. Air Force in the 40s and early 50s, and then the Air, Sport, Air Force suspects her and... I didn't even know women could serve that yeah. early. Well, yes, they could, um, but this was like... I think she was like an administrator, I want to say. Okay. I that, might be wrong that. About that tracks. <laughs> oh, no, I take it back. She was in the U.S. Air Force Reserves, so she wasn't okay. actually like stationed, but she was in the Reserves. So the Air Force suspected her and this woman named Grace Garner of being lesbians, uh-huh. And to basically catch them, they arranged this, like, four-person overnight trip and motel stay, and then they what? used that as evidence that they were lesbians and, like, accused them of being lesbians and dishonorably Wait, because they hooked them. up at the hotel? Well, that's what they claimed. So it's all very, like, there's no, I didn't read any evidence of them actually, like, catching them in the act or anything. But they, like, arranged them to go on this trip, and then we're like, see, they went on this trip, so they must be gay. <laughs> and at first I was reading this as, like, this is insane, but then it turns out, like, after they were dishonorably discharged, um, they moved in together. So I think okay. that, so. that pretty much implies, like, they, they were. But they refused to accept the dishonorable discharge because uh, they weren't given a court-martial. Um, so they appealed it on charges of uh, denial of due process. So it wasn't like they were, uh, like, fighting the dishonorable discharge based on that like discrimination they did it because they were denied um due process when they were denied a court-martial 
So, because they, they went through this, like, administrative discharge as opposed to, like, doing it through the courts. Because, mm-hmm. again, this was World War Two at the time, so people are, like, too busy to be dealing with a court-martial, and they were like, no, 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 we want our, we our rights. Won. Yeah, sure. and they won, which was... Oh, love that. Very exciting, and they... They, lo- um, they won because of lack of evidence, or just yep. because... Okay, so lack yep. of evidence. So, in, they won in 1960. The court invalidated the discharges and awarded them with military back pay for the remainder of their enlistment periods, oh, and this yeah. was... The first time that uh, somebody won um, in a case against the U.S. Armed Forces on grounds of homosexuality, so that was something. But it still, again, wasn't didn't really do much for the cause because it was on a technicality, really. So, from the 1950s through Vietnam, a lot of notable gay service members avoided discharges despite pre-screening efforts um, because when there were personnel shortages, homosexuals were allowed to serve. So they would like make an exception when there was a like a, a big need like in Vietnam for example when like everybody and their mother was trying to draft dodge because Vietnam was like not a place to go so at that point if you're like listen I'm gay and I will go to Vietnam they're like we will turn a blind eye to this um obviously in the 1970s and 1980s things really started to change in terms of gay rights uh so this became like a pretty obviously serious noteworthy issue uh-huh. And there were several like very noteworthy dismissals during the time of gay service members which really added fuel to the fire So, in 1982, the Department of Defense issued a policy stating that homosexuality is incompatible with military service, and the reasons for this was that the military had to maintain discipline, order, and morale, and prevent breaches of security, which is just, like, obviously bullshit. Like, it it just, like, they're grasping at straws at this point. So, in response pretty much to do this and, like, other campaigns against gay and lesbians in the armed forces, a group emerged called the Gay and Lesbian Military Freedom Project, or MFP, which basically was advocating for an end of the exclusion of gays and lesbians from the armed forces. And they started lobbying Congress starting in 1990. And so then the, in the following year, 1991, Senator Brock Adams and Rep. Barbara Boxer introduced the Military Freedom Act to legislation, which would uh, end the ban completely. So that was the first time that legislation was introduced to get rid of the ban on gay people from serving in the military. And Oddly, this is like not who I would have expected to take up this cause, but in 1991, Dick Cheney dismissed the idea that gay people posed a security risk and called it a bit of an old chestnut chestnut on a testimony during a budget. Okay, who would have thought? Who would have thought? I was really... Well, there's like, do you think uh, it's because of his lesbian daughter? I mean, perhaps. I Was she a lesbian in 1991? Or did he just have a I suspicion? Mean, I, um, are you saying lesbianism is a choice, Rebecca? No, but I mean, wasn't she quite <laughs> young in 1991, like a child? I don't know. She was probably, like, in her teens. She was okay. probably giving off vibes to Dick. All right. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I don't know if she's <laughs> out, but, but you know what? Dick Cheney was a complex man. Who knew? We, Dick we Cheney know. was kind of an early ally. Like, who yeah, would have thought? Yeah, literally. <laughs> really early ally while also doing a lot to negate the, the rights yes, of... Yes, yes. And we'll get to it, but, like, some people that you think would be allies were not in this fight. So, okay, basically... Love it. Around this time, too, like, we're in 1992 now, the General Accounting Office released a report saying that this ban on gays and lesbians was actually costing the military $27 million a year by excluding gays and lesbians from the military, Mm -hmm. which I don't really understand where that number, like, I guess, like, measures to exclude people cost money, but... But also, like, you know, what is the army if not cheap labor? (laughs) I mean, true. Very true. So... Yeah, so basically, like, all of this stuff starts coming to a head, and then you get the 1992 presidential election campaign, where this became, like, a pretty hot-button issue, and people are finally starting to talk about this. 1992? Um, mm-hmm. So, like, Clinton's first 
elections. Correct. Yes. Okay. So in August of 1992, um, in a letter written to all of his senior officers, General Carl, Carl Mundy Jr., who was the commandment of the Marine Corps, praised this position paper that was written by a Marine Corps chaplain that was, again, like, this language is just, like, ridiculous and disgusting. So it's, quote, In the unique, intensely close environment of the military, homosexual conduct can threaten lives, including the physical, e.g. AIDS, and psychological well-being of others. Um, and everybody was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is very insightful. This is why this needs to be the basis of the issue. And it also plays into the fact, and I hope Gibson comes back and does an ID on the AIDS crisis, because that was such, like, such a crazy moment in American history and, like, panic totally. on it. I mean, it's just a panic on, like, numerous things. It's, like, a, an illness that no one understands, a fear of the gay agenda, like, all of this stuff coming to a head. So all of this is happening and kind of informing these conversations. And then the gasoline on the fire happens. So on October 27, 1992, a U.S. Navy petty officer, his name is Alan R. Schindler, Jr. He was born December 13th. So Sagittarius? Yes. And Sagittarius. you love to see it. Very yeah. fun. Very direct, interesting, passionate people, like life of the party. Ugh, I'm devastated. And just like chaos. So wait, so he sucks? No, no, he dies in very oh, no. tragically. So what? he is murdered in a park bathroom in Nagasaki oh. by a fellow um, airman. He was a petty officer, and this guy was an airman apprentice. His name, his killer's name is. is uh, so is that higher? I'm not, I don't know the military <laughs> ranks. I think petty officer is probably one of the lower ranks. I think it's like officer. the lowest yeah. PO. He, I feel like it's like private PO. Yeah, I think he was like not high on the totem pole. But the guy that killed him was this guy, Terry Helvey, and he basically cornered him in this bathroom and along with his accomplice, this man named Charles Vince, beat him by stomping on him, just like the worst possible way to kill someone. And he was seen, like, this was, like, they came up, this witness, John Witt, Jonathan Witte, um, came upon the assault pretty, like, quickly, like, soon into it, and he heard that they were singing and just, like, reveling, and so he immediately ran to retrieve um, <gasps> shore patrolmen. Wait, so there were other witnesses? So there was one accomplice who was helping this guy beat, uh-huh. stomp this man oh. to death while, like, singing, which is just the most horrific thing you can imagine, and another guy comes upon this bathroom, sees what's happening, and he runs back to the shore patrolmen, which are stationed nearby, and within 30 seconds, they all were back in the bathroom, and by this point, like, he was, couldn't breathe, just was, like, completely messed up, so they carried his body away um, to a nearby bridge where he later died, and uh, Witty, the guy that intervened, had actually met Schindler for the first time two days before his murder, but he was so severely beaten that he didn't recognize him. And his family were only able to identify him by a tattoo on his arm. Like, that's how badly and, like, horrific and horrible this beating Ugh. was. Like, this was not, like, Ew. this was, like, a hate crime to the worst part. Po- I mean, all hate crimes are bad, but this was, like, just absolutely sickening and horrific. So the Navy, of course, was, like, very much less than forthcoming about the details of the killing, uh, both with the media and the victim's family. So they didn't include any of his belongings in the investigation, which included a logbook of uh, Alan's time on board. And he, uh, this, like, written record of all this harassment he'd received. So that was encountered into evidence. They denied um, that they'd received any complaints of harassment, though he'd spoken numerous times about how he was being sexually harassed and violently, like, attacked. And they refused to release the Japanese police report on the murder to anyone. So, like, completely, like, covered this whole thing up. 
the medical examiner compared uh, Schindler's injuries to that of like a horse trampling. Like he said, this is the worst. Wait, what was the quote? I just don't even want to say because it, it was just like horrible, just bad. That is disturbing. So the public re- and keep in mind this is in 1992. So the public reaction to this was like pretty severe. Like, everyone's like, we've got to do something about this. Like you cannot let this homophobia run rampant. And this became like a big issue for the Clinton administration. So policy was the don't ask, don't tell policy itself was introduced as a compromise measure in 1993 by Bill Clinton, who had campaigned in 1992 on this promise that all citizens would be able to serve in the military regardless of sexual orientation. That doesn't mm-hmm. happen. But he does create Don't Ask, Don't Tell as a compromise because it was just like not at the time going to pass this complete lifting of the ban. I can't believe that was the name of the legislation. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is so crazy. This is the craziest thing. Is like I thought the legislation the whole time was called Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I didn't realize the reform compromise was Don't Ask, Don't Tell. <laughs> and before that, it was just like an outright ban. I mean, it's just interesting. Like I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of – and I do kind of get – the point of being like I just get the da- the inherent danger of like putting like people that are potentially romantically involved on yeah. like the same you know what I mean if you've ever hooked up with someone at work you know how dangerous it could get yeah but, but yeah I mean but yeah it just but it's like unjustifiable even now like it's like I'm trying to put myself into that mindset and be like okay right how, so, is, how is the majority of the nation feeling this way? Well, the like, majority of the nation, well, it's not true, actually. It was like like any issue in this country, like very much split down party lines. And mm-hmm. there were people that were saying that, the, you know, the, the opposition side was a lot of people from the military that were saying things like homosexuals are notoriously promiscuous and the shared shower situation was going to be a problem and oh, the God. heterosexuals were going to be uncomfortable. But then on the opposite side, on the defense of this idea... God forbid we make straight people uncomfortable. I know, like, God forbid the straights are uncomfortable. Um, So this guy, Gregory Herrick, who was a research psychologist at the University of California at Davis, um, was, like, considered a renowned authority on public attitudes towards lesbian and gay people, and he testified before the House Armed Services Committee saying there was no research that heterosexuals and homosexuals couldn't work well together. He said the assumption that heterosexuals can't overcome their prejudices towards gay people is a mistaken one. So basically saying, like, the Army's making this up. Like, people, military personnel, by and large, aren't going to have a problem with this, but if you make it, like, something that's illegal, it's going to continue to be a problem. So, basically, the reformers were led by Democratic Congressman Barney Frank of Massachusetts, who favored modification but ultimately voted for the defense what happened to that guy i don't know is he like still a senator (laughs) i feel like he's definitely still alive you should look it up barney frank the other one who is um actually pretty instrumental in this was barry goldwater who is a former republican senator and a retired major general and he actually argued on behalf of allowing openly gay okay whoa yeah crazy and barney frank has a husband oh i did not know he was gay Crazy. Well, yeah, well, no wonder he supported it. Yeah. Well, Goldwater, who was a Republican and not gay, ended up coming out in support of reform and saying you don't have to be straight to shoot straight, which is another thing I'd love to put on a, <laughs> on a t-shirt. <laughs> you don't have to be straight to shoot straight. I, just I love that. That was, that. Wow, that was a gosh. great quote. Say what you want about America. We have unbelievable slogans. <laughs> The pithy sayings are. We love a pithy saying. So, by December 21st, 1993, the Clinton administration issued Defense Directive 130426, which 
finally directed that military applicants were not to be asked about their sexual orientation, but that homosexuality was incompatible with military service and that persons who engaged in homosexual acts or stated they are homosexual or bisexual were to be discharged. So this was what I mean by a compromise policy. It like was saying literally what it means, don't ask, don't tell. So we're not going to ask you, but if we find out, we're going to get rid of you. And that's where the don't tell comes in. It. So you can be discharged for being gay, so you shouldn't make any statements you're indicating you're gay. You shouldn't do any gay things. Just, like, basically <laughs> pretend you're straight. And there was a third amendment to that called don't pursue. Actually, a fourth. Just like, don't be gay at all. Look the other way. So don't pursue was another element uh, which established what was minimally required for an investigation to be initiated. So, like, if you caught somebody in a sex act, like, that would like create an investigation but like if you just had like a suspicion if someone like you know looked extra sharp in their uniform and you were like hmm that was not grounds to start an investigation and they finally later on added a don't harass provision because um people kept getting harassed and you know you just got to spell it out for people at this point so there was a couple court cases that affected this. And the first one, very quickly, in 1998, um, a, a chief petty officer whose name was actually Timothy McVeigh, not to be confused with the Ohio bomber. <laughs> How many Timothy McVeighs are there? Yeah, well, this was one. He was, he was separate. <laughs> and he got discharged because they found he had, like, a gay-sounding AOL username. I kid you not. <laughs> and and Wait, he was what like, was no, it? Do you I don't know. It was... I couldn't find it. But, like, it was something that the military was like, this seems gay. And <laughs> Timothy McVeigh is like, you cannot discharge me from the military on the grounds of my having a gay AOL sounding screen name. And AOL actually ended up paying him damages because like they had like turned over the information to the military and they're like, yeah, our dad, we, so AOL, not really an ally. And he won that case. Um, then another tragedy happens in July 6th, 1999, uh, Barry Winchell, who was a U.S. soldier um, stationed in, I believe it was Nashville went to a Nashville club called The Connection, which featured a lot of transgender performers. And mm-hmm. Winchell met a trans woman, this showgirl named Calpurnia Adams. And they started to date. They fell in love. Like, you love to see it. You love to see it. But then, obviously, because people are homophobic assholes, his roommate, um, Justin Fisher, started to spread rumors of his relationship. And Winchell started becoming the target of harassment. And then on the 4th of July, when Winchester, Winchell and his fellow soldier, Calvin Glover, got in this fight because Winchell accused Glover of being a fraud and or boasting about being a fraud. Some, like, stupid fight. They get in a fight. Basically, Fisher and Glover start, like, oh, Winchell beats up Glover. I got to get this right. And then Fisher, his roommate, starts being like, oh, like, I can't believe you got beaten up by a gay guy, but they used the worst word for it the f slur the f slur they use the f slur and that's what the kids say so yeah so Winchell beats up this guy glover fisher then starts teasing glover about it glover then goes and takes a baseball bat and beats Winchell to death while he's sleeping as like what? retaliation yep. oh my god yep I just think that these stories are, like, extra disturbing because I feel like beating someone to death is so personal. Yes. It's so personal. The hate required to beat somebody to death. That's what I was saying about the previous one, too. It's just, like, to be that angry and that, like... And and in either case, it wasn't like the person made a pass at them or... Not that anything would excuse this, but it was just, like, absolutely out of nowhere, just, like, driven by homophobia. Like, it's, it's horrific. So... Uh, the good news is Glover was convicted of Winchell's murder and is serving a life sentence. 
Fisher, who didn't actually beat anyone to death, but was certainly, like, aggravating everything, was convicted uh-huh. of lesser crimes. Um, he was sentenced to 12 and a half years after a plea bargain and was released in October 2006. So, hate to see it. Um, but Winchell's murder basically led Secretary of Defense William Collin to order a review of the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy, which was a pretty significant outcome. Um, President Clinton also, as a reaction to Winchell's murder, issued an executive order that modified the Uniform Code of Military Justice to permit evidence of a hate crime to be admitted during the sentencing phase of trial, which was new. But, like, should it be? Like, maybe, like, hate crimes? Like, I don't know. The fact that all this was happening in the early 90s is just, like, shocking to me. Uh-huh. Um, in December, on December 7th, 1999, Hillary Clinton went so far as to tell an audience of gay supporters that gays and lesbians already serve with distinction in our nation's armed forces and should not face discrimination. Fitness to serve should be based on an individual's conduct, not their sexual orientation. So say what you will about Hillary Clinton. I have no choice but to stand. And then, of course, because everyone always just does this to the Clintons, Carl Mundy, who was the original one that read that like horrible letter, uh, said that the Clintons were politicizing the gay agenda for their own gain. Like, this has been happening to the Clintons from the start. Like, they're just, everything comes back to them being too ambitious. Um, but they ran, <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. So, so, this all starts really coming to a head um, in the 2000s. And we have two kind of, like, flash pan moments, one in 2000 and one in 2010. So, in 2000, um, the candidates for the Democratic presidential nomination Al Gore and Bill Bradley both endorsed military service by open, openly gay uh, members of the army. Uh-huh. And Gore went so far as to say that he was going to use support for ending Don't Act, Don't Tell as a litmus test when considering uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff. Interesting. Which, you know, Al Gore's always been down for the cause. <laughs> um, do not sleep on Al Gore. Do not sleep on Al Gore. He knew about climate change before anybody else. Uh, the Republicans, on the other hand, like didn't really address it, but did say we affirm. Actually, no, I take it back. The Democratic Party was silent on the issue, but the Republican Party came out and said we affirm that homosexuality is incompatible with military service. Fast forward now to 2006. There's another uh, court case that gets some attention, and that's uh, Margaret Witt, who was a major in the United States Air Force, who was being investigated for homosexuality, filed suit in the U.S. District Court seeking declaratory and injunctive relief on the grounds that don't ask, don't tell violated due process and the equal protection cause and procedural due process um and she was her dishonorable discharge was dropped and she was given a settlement on may 10th 2011 uh and retired with full benefits you love to see it you love to see it uh okay so people that are not down for the cause that you think might have been mitt romney in 2007 i always thought mitt romney was maybe like all right with with gay stuff but in 2007, he was not, and... I mean, he's Mormon. Yeah, I guess I keep forgetting. I There's guess a lot of man-woman yeah. in the sky stuff going on there, where it's yeah. like, you're going to be sealed in heaven together. Like, there's there's not a lot of room for divergent thoughts, though I literally love Mitt Romney. So, well, I, that's yeah. disappointing to hear. I do not, but I... Have you seen him in a bathing suit? <laughs> yeah, I can't argue that he's a good-looking dude, but, like, I don't... I don't like his policies. So anyways... Um, I, I, I don't think it's too late to bag a Romney. There's, the earth is littered with his sons. <laughs> like, I mean, I that's true. Really... Doesn't he have, like, Mormons are like <laughs> He that, has, though. like, nine really hot sons. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you could... You could bag a Romney. of all the gin joints in all the world, Just Mitt Romney Jr. walks into mine. We'll see. I don't know. 
okay, so 2008 is when things start really heating up because of our guy, Barack Obama. Like, Barack Obama gets on the campaign trail and he's like, nah, we're not doing this anymore. This is outdated. This is homophobic. I hate it. And he wants to do a full repeal on laws barring gays and lesbians from serving in the military. Um, Uh This is also supported by uh, one of the... um, Graduating, Mike, no, I take it back. Joint Chief of Staff Admiral Mike Mullen addressed graduating cadets at West Point and said that Congress and not the military is responsible for Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So that really put the onus on the government to change this and not keep like saying this is a military issue, but this is like Uh a human rights issue and the government needs to get involved. So Obama gets elected. And then 19 days after his election, his advisors announced that they have to wait until 2010 to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell because they want to, like, confer with the Joint Chiefs of Staff and his new political appointees to reach a consensus. So basically, we think it's going to happen in 2008. It gets pushed to 2010. But in the meantime, in 2009, Colin Powell, who worked on Don't Ask, Don't Tell, says that the policy was correct for the time, but that, quote, 16 years have now gone by, and I think a lot has changed with respect to attitudes within our country, and therefore I think this policy and is a law that should be reviewed. So that really kind of set the stage for 2010. When Obama has his State of the Union address on January 27th and says that he's going to work with Congress and the military to enact the repeal of the gay ban law and for the first time set a timetable to repeal it. And this starts on February 2nd, 2010. And here's another one we're going to be disappointed to hear. John McCain reads this letter um, to the Senate and it's signed by over 100,000 general and flag officers and says, quote, we firmly believe that this law, which Congress passed to protect good order, discipline, and morale in the unique environment of the armed forces, deserves continued support. And this, the campaign had been organized by this lady called Elaine Donnelly, who was the head of the Center for Military Readiness and was a longtime supporter of an all-male, all-heterosexual military. So just coming from like a really antiquated, terrible place, and McCain was the one that pushed that, so not good. Um, and it was kind of like a joke letter because the average age of the people that signed it was 74 and the oldest was 98. So all these people <laughs> were like, um, the people that are signing this bill weren't actually actually serving when Don't Ask, Don't Tell was even a thing. So like, why are we listening to these people? And so the big like clincher here is my favorite name yet. Do you know about the log cabin Republicans? Mm, I think it's ringing bells, but not any intelligible ones. Like, so I the log... Log Cabin Republicans are the nation's largest Republican gay organization. And... Oh, love it. You love it. Like, you love to see it. I am a Log Cabin Republican stan. So, so it's they, Log House, so that, is that just like a Lincoln reference? Maybe. Because it's I, definitely not something Lincoln would care about. You're going, over, <laughs> you're going through people that would care. I don't think Abe would have cared at all. He'd be like, do you have two legs? Great. Yeah. <laughs> Start yeah. marching, bro. Yeah. <laughs> we've got an... A union to save. <laughs> oh, it's so true. So the law cabinet Republicans brought suit against the United States of America saying that don't ask, don't tell, that it violates uh, the rights of gay military members to free speech, due process, and open association. So this is the first time they're coming after free speech, too, which is like, anytime you say free speech, everyone in this country is like, shoot, we cannot violate free speech. So this really was kind of the thing that got people like fired up and ready to do the thing. So this all gets pretty complicated, and I'm going to go through it quickly. Obama's down for it. The judge who was overseeing the log cabin Republicans case rules in their favor that a ban on service by openly gay service members is unconstitutional and a violation of the First and Fifth Amendments, so that's huge. 
Um, she granted immediate worldwide injunction prohibiting the Department of Defense from enforcing Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and ordered the military to suspend and discontinue any investigation or discharge, separation, or other proceedings based on it. Um, the Department of Justice appealed her decision and requested a stay of injunction, which Phillips denied, but the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals granted. So it's going back and forth at this point. Like, it gets overruled, they get a stay, but ultimately they um, overruled her decision, Phillips' decision, and Don't Ask Them Tell was back in circulation. So then it goes back to the district court, and at that point they put it on trial for, like, this idea that it's, it's violating individual liberty, and they couldn't put forth any sort of pervasive argument to demonstrate that the state the statute was a valid er, uh, exercise of congressional authority to legislate the realm of protected liberty interests. So on October 19, 2010, military recruiters were told they could start accepting openly gay applicants. And October 20, 2010, Lieutenant Daniel Choi, who was an openly gay man who was honorably discharged under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, re-enlisted in the Army. And then... On November 30th, the Joint Chiefs of Staff released the Don't Ask, Don't Tell Comprehensive Review Working Group report, which basically indicated there was low risk of service disruptions to repealing the ban, provided time was provided for the proper implementation. So finally, on December 22nd, 2010, Obama signed the repeal into law, um, which at that point means once certification is given, Don't Ask, Don't Tell will be lifted after a 60-day waiting period. So everyone's uh-huh. like, great. It's happening. But of course, because we can't have nice things, at the beginning of January 2011, uh, <laughs> Representative Duncan Hunter introduced a bill designed to delay the end of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So he asked for all of the chiefs of the armed services to submit the certification at the point it really only required at the time the president, the defense secretary, and the joint chief chairman. So he goes from this like being like three signatures to literally every chief of the armed services, which was like a lot. So that was going <laughs> to stall it. Um, so throughout July, there's more appeals, there's more restorations of Don't Act, Don't Tell. It just keeps going back and forth, and I can get into all of it, but you just don't want to hear it because it goes on forever, and it's a bunch of acronyms and names of people that just don't matter. Because finally, <laughs> finally, Obama, Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta, and Admiral Mike Mullen, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, sent the certification required by the Repeal Act to Congress on July 22, 2011, which meant the date for the end of Don't Act, Don't Tell was going to be September 20th, 2011. And the Pentagon said that at this point, service members who had been discharged under Don't Ask, Don't Tell would be able to reapply and join the military. So September 20th finally comes. Everyone's excited. Lots of great things happen. And this is where there's like a silver lining and a happy ending to this story because there's some great things. Uh, A U.S. Navy Lieutenant Gary Ross married Dan Swayze, becoming the first active member of the U.S. military to legally marry a same-sex partner. You love to see it. The, on the eve of the repeal, the U.S. Air Force um, First Lieutenant Josh Seafried, who was one of the founders of this magazine called OutServe, but had been publishing under a pseudonym, finally came out and revealed his identity after two years. Mm-hmm. There was a social media campaign that went out seeking, which was like trying to encourage people in the military to come out. And uh, one guy came out on the eve of September of 19 to his father, and it went viral, and he became like the poster boy for Don't Ask, Don't Tell. They announced that the military chaplains were allowed to perform same-sex marriages on or off military installations. Um, they also said that you could wear your uniforms at pride parades if you wanted to. Okay. Um, Hell they yeah. allowed Ginger Wallace became the first openly LGBTQ plus service member to have a same-sex partner participate in the pinning on ceremony. Two women were allowed to have a first kiss upon returning to port, which was the first same-sex same-sex partner like Navy first kiss. So just like a lot of progress, finally, 
Um, of course, in 2012, when there was another election, like the Republicans tried to ruin everything. Uh, a lot of people uh, called for the restoration of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, specifically Michelle Bachman, Rick Perry, and Rick Santorum, who took a beating last week and will take a beating again for being useless. And everybody's <laughs> least favorite, Newt Gingrich, who also called for an extensive review of Don't Ask, Don't Tell's repeal. Uh, Ron Paul, who has always been down for the libertarian cause, maintained his support for military servicemen of all sexual orientations. Herman Cain called the issue a distraction, <laughs> which is like classic Herman Cain. Mitt Romney finally said that the winding down of military operations in Iraq and Afghanistan um, said that he was not proposing any change to the policy. So Mitt Romney was just like, just because like we're winding down, like other than that, I'm still against it. So fuck you, Mitt Romney. But basically... It's been decided now. I don't think Trump had anything to say about it. Um, I just don't care to look up anything to do with that man at all. Same. And he wasn't included in the articles I read, so I'm not But it's also bother. a little bit, like, in the past now. Like, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't even something addressed during his election cycles, right? No, no. The, the last time it really was a conversation was in 2012. Well, I'm glad we're doing this because it really does make me reflect on how crazy and how intensely gay rights have changed and how swiftly public opinion has turned on it too like that's something that we've seen in our lifetime like i genuinely feel like the progress has been so expedited in the last 10 to 15 years yeah i totally agree i mean the fact that we can remember in our lifetimes both this and the repeal of like the gay marriage ban like that those happened within our lifetimes our 30 years is staggering like it's like when you hear about the civil rights movement and you put it in the context of like rock and roll music and you're like, wow, this was happening at the same time. And the also people... white people were ripping off black people's rock and roll yeah. music. Well, well true. <laughs> That's yes. a big part of it. The whole genre. But um, And a fun fact is, did you know that rock and roll is a is slang for sex? It's like yes. southern yeah. black yeah. slang for sex and that's yep. where it comes from. And it's like, yeah, like it's rock I actually and roll. think you told me that. I definitely did. I spread I think it that. It might have been during the Woodstock I, episode. I spread that trivia far and wide. Did I yeah. really? Okay, so I've I already told did. the manifestors. I about think the it, manifestors but... have already heard it, but I could be wrong. It could have just been one of our many other historical other conversations. side conversations. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so yeah, that's a long-winded one and wrought with tragedy, but also victory in the end. And it's just kind of crazy to me that this was even a thing to begin with, and it was a I thing mean, for so long, and people but were so I, mad. Yeah. And it's wild. It's like almost every date that you were talking about, like the lynching in Nagasaki. Like I can't believe I was alive when that happened. I but know. I know we were alive have for changed most of this. So much, and I yeah. just think that like not only acceptance has changed so much, but even kind of just like the political attitude towards like right. any kind of difference. It's like why does that have anything to do with you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, truly, and, and this is like when the Republicans get up in arms about it. It like is ultimately a, an issue of autonomy and individual liberty and freedom of speech and freedom of expression. It's like, so you're going to get mad about this, but like all this other terrible stuff you say, and do you need your guns right, and all this? I mean, down, it's, it's the same thing. So it's like the gay, the Republicans should have always been in favor of gay rights because it's autonomy. Do you? Do you, baby? If you listen. If there's one takeaway here, it's Barry Goldwater saying you don't have to be straight to shoot straight. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Barry Goldwater could be his own ID because I think he was he DL ran for president more than anyone. Like Henry Clay. Henry Clay, like, really? Oh. No, not more. Maybe than we should Henry do Henry Clay, Clay and but, Barry Goldwater and like have a have a comparison. Like we could have more. like a failed U.S. president. Ooh, okay, that great. could be a fun mini. I'd like that. 
I don't really have any further reading for this. I tried to watch the 2011 HBO documentary, The Strange History of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, something like that. It was uh-huh. not very good. So I watched about 15 minutes of it. It had, like, weird, like... HBO, even they have their off days. They even... It seemed, like, really dated. Like, I don't know, maybe if it just, like, was added to HBO in 2011 or remastered, because it seemed like it was produced in, like, the <laughs> mid-90s. And all of the, like, talking head text was, like, that. you know that cheesy, like, spy text where it, like, gets typed in and then, like, blinks and disappears, and you hear, like, the typing sound when the letters come up? Just, like, mm-hmm. something that, like, you'd see in Spy Kids or something. That was all the talking head stuff, and I was super distracted by it, but... If you're looking for something, if you want to dive a little bit deeper into this strange and sad history of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, that is the only thing I found out there. Okay. Love it. Um, well, I would also just reiterate Mr. Lincoln's Army. Yeah. Mr. <laughs> Lincoln's Army, American War. Yeah, I mean, lots of good reading, and, and it's making me look inward and realize we got to take on the Civil War more. I think that's the big takeaway from today, is that, like, gay rights and more Civil War, they seem contradictory. <laughs> that's, what pe- that's what the people... Give the people what they want, which is more rights for gay people and more Civil War podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> they are contradictory impulses, but that's what we're all about here. No, Manifest I think they're symbiotic. All the right. more Civil War you explore, the more gay rights you get. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Love to see it. All right, you want to sign us off? Um, all right. Happy Blairioki and goodbye. <laughs>